Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. I'm Ron Jorlock. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Today we are discussing urban ministry with a dear friend and brother, Pastor Sean Cordell. Uh, Sean serves as the lead pastor of Treasuring Christ Church in downtown Raleigh. Uh, he also serves as executive director of the Treasuring Christ Together Church Planning Network. Brother, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to join our discussion today. My joy. Glad to be here. So before we get into any specific questions about urban ministry, can you share a little bit about Treasuring Christ Church? Yeah, Treasuring Christ Church uh, was started by the grace of Jesus back in 2005, and uh, we really wanted the glory of Christ to be trumpeted in a primarily urban um, context. And our, keen, our prayer was that we'd have a keen eye towards the poor and towards multi-ethnicity. And so that's why we focused ourselves in downtown Raleigh. It was the kind of the greatest concentration of a distressed community at that time and uh, probably the greatest concentration of diversity. And so we planted ourselves there in 2005, and the Lord's been very gracious ever since. Mm. And there's a connection here, right? Mm -hmm. What is that connection between you and, and Pastor Cordell here? Yeah, so we both serve as elders at Treasuring Christ. Uh, Sean, of course, has been there from day one. Um, I've been there from you know day not one. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's been almost a year now that I've been uh, serving there. And we together take pretty much the lion's share of the preaching load there at the church. So what what kind of brought you to Treasuring Christ? Mm. Well, uh, really, the story goes back to our days in Baltimore. Uh, while we were there, I was pastoring, serving the Lord there. Uh, of course, Annie and the kids uh, were very much engaged in ministry there as well, uh, not just in the church, but in the neighborhood. And when we left from there and came here to Southeastern, um, this may be a surprise to some of the folks who are listening here, but uh, Baltimore and Wake Forest are not exactly the same uh, in terms of context uh, at all. Right. <laughs> and so that left us a little bit like a fish out of water, you know, just thinking about uh, all that we had learned and all that we had experienced in Baltimore. We were really left wondering, what are we supposed to do with all of this? You know, what, what do we do with this chapter of life? Are we supposed to build on it? Are we just supposed to, you know, put it in storage and, and, and move on with where God's got us. And, uh, and uh, it was actually in last year, uh, 2020, before everything uh, shut down, uh, that uh, Pastor Sean came over to Southeastern and he preached in chapel. Uh, and Dr. Aiken was down in New Orleans. Uh, one of our colleagues here, Jamie Dew, became the president at New Orleans Seminary. And so I was tasked with taking the chapel speaker out to lunch. And uh, I, Annie, and the kids uh, took uh, him and his wife, uh, Dana, out to, uh, out to lunch. And we just sat there for hours, and what I realized was what we had experienced in Baltimore was very similar to what they mm. were experiencing in, uh, in Southeast Raleigh. And uh, that just kind of started a friendship that later on uh, through the year, 
the Lord just kind of watered and 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 let it blossom into uh, partnering together uh, in the same church family. And so, yeah, uh, much of what we uh, experience is is very similar to what we experienced in Baltimore. And it was just cool to see how God took that chapter of life mm-hmm. and and kind of uh, uh, matched us perfectly with uh, with the folks at uh, Treasure in Christ. Mm-hmm. So so Wake Forest and Baltimore are different. Downtown Raleigh and Wake Forest are different. So, yeah. so what makes urban ministry so unique? This is for both of you. Mm-hmm. And and what are some challenge challenges that are unique to pastoring in an urban context? Yeah, I I think if urban ministry is a really broad topic, mm-hmm. it's a broad term. So, I guess when people use urban, it's usually in contrast to rural, and so. Um, that's different. But within urban context, we're basically talking about an understanding of culture. And so within an urban context, you can genuinely be in an urban context. That means a primarily city-centric context and never deal with really poverty. Um, and you can be really kind of mono-ethnic. You, mm-hmm. And so you can find that in downtown Raleigh. Those in the high rises of downtown Raleigh, they're mostly affluent. They don't have a lot of children, if any. Um, double income, no kids, or there's a lot of singles. And so that's one kind of ministry context of urban ministry. Now, um, in where we were intentionally seeking to be, there are pockets of poverty in all cities. And so we were seeking to invest ourselves in the, in the areas of kind of poverty. And that has its own challenges right. and its own kind of DNA and identifying markers. And so uh, there, there's a lot of uh, racial tension in downtown Raleigh. There's a lot of economic tension um, and just how you deal with uh, government agencies and how you deal with uh, just real, a lot of broken homes. And um, what, what I like to say is a lot of the sins that are more private in suburban contexts are very public and celebrated in urban contexts, mm. whether it's sexual freedom, whether it's gender dysphoria, whether it's drug addiction, whether it's, you know, just this idea of, of the broken family. Um, there's just a lot of it is just right in your face um, mm. and it's kind of unavoidable. So um, where some of that happens behind closed doors still happens, but happens behind closed doors in other contexts. So mm-hmm. that's just one of the things that I think makes it uh, unique. Um, Ron yeah. Dewar, you got any thoughts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you're, you're absolutely right that urban, uh, kind of the urban and urban ministry, the definition is changing. Uh, uh, you're absolutely right about that. Gentrification uh, is, is, is affecting the, the terminology and kind of affecting the context. So when um, uh, several years ago, if, if you could uh, bear with the history a little bit. So uh, several years ago, uh, with the uh, with recon well almost a hundred well, over a hundred years ago with reconstruction and so on, uh, when that fell through uh, post Civil War, uh, you had the rise of Jim Crow in the South, and what happened with all of that in the South is that it it caused a lot of Black families and so on to move up north. Uh, they call it the Great Migration. And as they moved up north, they moved into the cities and so on because that's where the jobs were, or at least that's what they thought. Um, what happened was you had a lot of uh, uh, white families and so on that were in the cities that moved out of the cities into what are now the suburbs, uh, moved out into those spaces and took a lot of the jobs and a lot of the money and the home values and all of that with them out into the suburbs. And so what happened was the cities became centers of poverty, 
uh, and centers of unemployment and drug addiction and violence and all of these uh, all of these things. And that's kind of what we think of when we think of urban ministry. Uh, we think of going in, you know, uh, to the poverty, going into the tension, the brokenness, and all of that. And uh, now the, the the script is being flipped a bit because uh, you have city governments and so on, city planners that are uh, investing more money into the cities to make them a more desirable place uh, for folks to live. But that's also resulting in the displacement of folks that have been around for for decades. You know, they've been there, their family, their parents have been there, grandmama's been there, you know, and so sure. on. And so that's changing the dynamic a little bit for uh, for what it means to do ministry in here. When you have one block, for instance, that is that is completely run down, boarded up homes and things like that. And across the street, you could have a brand new complex, you know, that that, you know, costs thousands of dollars a month, you know, to uh, to rent. Um, and all of that is going on at the same time. And so as we think about ministry, I think moving forward, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how the dynamic uh, of ministry changes in light of the dynamic of the cities. No, that's really helpful. So y'all, you've been in downtown Raleigh for, for a couple of years now. What are some of the most encouraging moments uh, that you've experienced as a pastor at Treasure in Christ Church? Yeah, so we have been uh, there since 2005. So um, downtown Raleigh is home for us. Um, and I, But I think when we have been there, there's just a lot of stories. I was talking to my wife about it this morning. And uh, just what are some of the things that just, you know, encourage your heart from our uh, years here in in the in the inner city, and so I remember there was one uh, man, his name uh, I won't mention, but he's a family friend, uh, homeless individual, was walking up the street, and when we moved into the city, we were um, not trusted, and we were um, looked at with suspicion, and it just takes a lot of time to build up trust mm. in communities mm -hmm. where there has been a lot of um, just seeds of, you know, distrust and brokenness and pain and abuse and those kind of things. So as we were there, we know it was for the long haul, and um, this man um, ended up walking down the street, and his feet were really hurting, um, and he could not uh, keep uh, walking and he, uh, we saw him, I started talking to him and we ended up just helping him. He stayed with us for a little bit. And, um, what was interesting is there's a, our community was heavy with the blood gangs and they would not walk on our side of the street. They would stay on the other side. They would not look our way. There was clear animosity towards us. But once uh, this individual, I keep wanting to say his name, once this individual uh, kind of stayed with us, what ended up happening was now they started walking on our side of the street. Mm. They started actually saying things to us and talking to us. And he became, he became a person of peace when all we were seeking to do was care for him. And he became a person of peace and really created a lot of uh, relationships with individuals um, in the community. <laughs> um, one thing that my wife uh, also mentioned is that it was it's just encouraging when you begin to develop relationships with people that mm. are hurting so badly mm -hmm. and they don't see any sense of safety at all and they view you as a place or a people of safety. Mm. 
So one thing that, you know, when, no matter how you do ministry, you're identifying how God has been distorted in, cert, in a certain community. And then you want to go in and you want to present a clear picture of his beauty and glory. And so one area where God has been distorted in inner city contexts is, first of all, I think God is creator and that defining people's value and worth mm-hmm. and integrity as being made in the image of God. Without that, obviously, you seek for it in drugs or sexual identity or possessions or those kind of things. So that's one thing to just help them see that they're valuable and they're worth something because they're made in God's image. But the other thing is God is Father. Mm-hmm. And this idea of a God who can love in the midst of all of the brokenness and pain when they've never known love before. Mm-hmm. And so one of the encouraging moments, I remember there was a domestic dispute from those who were living next to us, and it was a uh, aunt, it was an aunt and uh, her uh Uh, niece and they were fighting and literally this uh, niece had a knife and so the the woman runs over to our house and says you got to call the cops she has a knife and she's going crazy she's not straight but it was like okay they were willing to come to us Mm -hmm. and to spend time with us and that took years of relationship it was crossing racial and economic barriers and yet having constant um expressions that people felt like we were a safe place. Mm. Those are just a few just kind of glimpses of how we have been able to bring a little bit of God's light into, you know, context of, uh, you know, darkness and and brokenness. And so Mm. those things are encouraging when you begin to see God move in people's lives. Absolutely. Do you have Mm. any experiences maybe you want to share from Mm -hmm. your your time in Baltimore? Yeah, yeah. Really piggybacking on on what uh, Pastor Sean was saying about uh, about here in Raleigh, one of the things that I've been so encouraged um, by and was so encouraged by, especially in the seasons where I felt like like I, I just I couldn't take it anymore, you know, where I where I wanted to quit. And if I didn't want to quit, Annie wanted to quit, you know, and then I had to you know really think hard about ministry, you know, with the repercussions and ramifications for my wife and kids. Um, but w- one of the things that was so encouraging for us was, and we learned this, was that uh, we should never underestimate the power of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Never underestimate the power of the gospel. We saw God move in ways that we just never thought possible. Mm-hmm. You know, families that were, you know, uh, uh, marriages that were that were on the brink of divorce, mm-hmm. you know, where... After a couple of years, not only were they together, but the husband wound up becoming one of our elders Mm. um, in the church, you know, and just see that complete transformation of their home uh, through the power of the gospel. Uh, You know, one lady that had been using uh, drugs for, I think she said, for 12 years, uh, she had been using heavy, you know, drugs. um, and, uh, and, And to see her, you know, not only you know, break free from that, but to be clean for multiple years, as far as I know to this day, uh, which she's probably approaching about eight or nine years now of, of being clean. Hmm. Um, you know, what, what happened? Well, you know, she was already in the process of, of uh, uh, weaning off of her drugs and so on, got involved in an NA group. The NA group needed a place to, to meet. 
Uh, they asked us if, if they could use one of our parsonages. We had a couple old houses uh, there, and, and uh, they started using that. And I said, one of the things, though, is if you're going to use this, we, we would really like for you all, you know, at least the director, which was her, to start attending our church. And so she started coming to our church. And God just started growing, you know, uh, growing her and and, uh, and and working in her life. Um, Annie uh, had a, a much uh, closer relationship with some of the prostitutes in our neighborhood than than I did. They knew who I was, and so they, they were, I think, a little bit intimidated by uh, talking to a pastor, but they had no problem talking to her. And anybody that knows Annie knows that it doesn't take much, you know, for you to love her. Um, but... Uh, when we were leaving, we were leaving, we felt kind of with our tail between our legs, you know, we just kind of felt we were tired, we were exhausted, we were, you know, uh, just broken down and so on. And we were and we were looking at the city and, and looking at our neighborhood in particular and just wondering, did we even make a dent in this? I mean, it's just so overwhelming, the 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 feeling of of demonic presence and power, you know, just over over you know uh, over a neighborhood like like where we were and there was a lady one of the um ladies on the street that that went to Annie and um and she said to her something that we've never forgotten she said you know we could go to any of these churches in our in our neighborhood any of the churches around if we need help but we know that if we want to get out we can go to your church mm-hmm. and to hear, as you were saying, Pastor, that 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 level of trust. I mean, there were there were ladies there that were that were um, telling Annie to call them, you know, to, to uh, refer to them by their actual names. Which, if you know anything about prostitution, they never give their real name out. Um, it's kind of a way of self protection. Mm-hmm. And and here they were giving their real names to her and saying, "Call me, call me this. That's what that's my real name." Um, and so on. Where does that come from? You know, it comes from recognizing whether they admit it or not, whether they realize it or not, recognizing the presence of Christ, and, you know, recognizing the presence of the Holy Spirit, you know, there and knowing I can trust, you know, these people. But again, whether they acknowledge it or not, they're they're saying by their actions, I can trust this God, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and and that was just such it left such an indelible mark on on my faith, on, on Annie's faith. And, uh, definitely we've, you know, I think it's kind of galvanized us when it comes to the gospel ministry, uh, that we can go anywhere and we can talk to anybody. We may not always get the results that we want or anything like that, but I have zero doubt in my mind of what the gospel is capable of. Mm. Wow. That's really encouraging, but thank you both for sharing those, those stories. Uh, so we know that, that especially before COVID cities were growing and growing very rapidly. Um, from a ministry perspective, though, do you think there has been somewhat of an aversion to ministry in the cities in the past? Hmm. Um, it, it, and why is doing ministry in an urban context so important? Hmm. Yeah, I, it depends on certain contexts, I think. Um, part of the the sending streams for our church um, were two precious churches uh, that I still love so dearly uh, right now, Open Door Baptist Church in North Raleigh and then Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And coming through uh, Bethlehem, there was a strong push towards reaching the nations and going into places where people did not want to go. And so for several years, I think, 
I would not have articulated those that I was in contact with as an aversion towards it, but also through Tim Keller's ministry, I think there was a, a strong emphasis towards cities and um, to the to the d- degree that what I've noticed in, in church planting is there's this sense of identity, like I'm not doing anything of value if I'm not in a city. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to encourage those pastors who are in rural contexts that that you are loving people with the gospel and the gospel is needed in your community. And the command is that you as a pastor are to feed the sheep with the word of God. Mm. And that is not less valuable than it is in an urban context. And so uh, in some senses, I, I don't think there's been an aversion. But in other senses, I do think there's been an aversion specifically to the parts of the city that aren't as sexy, that mm-hmm. aren't as glamorous. Um, mm-hmm. It's just it's just really it can really be an identity booster to say, hey, look, I'm doing ministry in New York City or D.C. or San Diego or, you know, even for me, it was it was something to say. I w- I'm in downtown Raleigh. Back when in 2005, those things became identity issues for me. I was only significant if. Mm. And so I just want to care for pastors to say, you're significant because you're made in the image of God and you are doing his work no matter what context it is. You are called to be faithful to shepherd those people that are right in front of you. Mm. And when you do that, God is going to bless that work when you are faithful to give them the word of God and the gospel of God. So Um, But I do think there does need to be a call, and I appreciate some calls that are going out now, to not neglect hard communities, Mm -hmm. specifically communities that um, face a lot of generational brokenness and generational poverty and a lot of contexts where there are racial tensions and where that just, it it, it grieves my heart that you can go into urban contexts and the churches are still so segregated. Mm -hmm. And it just does not, it's not a picture of the gospel Mm -hmm. (laughs) in that sense. Like, you know, heaven is going to be a different picture. And we are told that that's going to be a different picture because that's how God gets glory is when diversity relates in harmony. And the only unifying factor is the blood of Jesus and the spirit of God inside. So it's a, that's a long answer to say yes and no, but I do think there needs to be a push to care in specifically um, broken contexts. Um, I, would, I would want to see more planted there. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think in terms of the Great Commission, um, you know, the, the Great Commission doesn't begin with going and making disciples. Uh, the Great Commission begins with the risen Christ saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so where does it where does the Great Commission begin? The Great Commission begins with a risen Christ who has been given all authority over every space of creation. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, as, as Kuiper, you know, uh, you know, kind of borrowing from Kuiper, the idea of every square inch, you know, um, is under his authority. And so what does that mean? Well, that means that, you know, uh, Raleigh, as you were saying, not just the sexy parts of Raleigh, mm-hmm. but but the broken parts of Raleigh belong to Jesus. And and so we we uh, we uh, need to um, recognize the need for urban ministry, just simply because where people are, <laughs> there's a need for the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, where people are, there's a need for discipleship, um, and there are people there. There are a lot of people there, uh, and and so we need to go there. But another, uh, um, you know, re- or I guess some reasons in terms of why it's difficult. Um, one. 
maybe a bit of a Jonah thing. We don't, there's some, if we could be honest, there's some people we just aren't all that concerned about, you know, in terms of their eternal destiny and, and so on. You know, things are going great over here. We're fine. You know, we're ministering to the folks here. We don't really think about what's going on in, in the hood. You know, we don't really think about what's, what's going on over there. And so we're going to focus over here without really having concern for what's going on over there. Whereas, of course, the Lord, uh, you know, teaches us that we are to have a heart for all people and long for all peoples, you know, to, uh, to come to faith. Unfortunately, in the convention, if I could, you know, step on toes a little bit, um, we've allowed for way too long this dichotomy of saying that we care about the, you know, the mission we care about getting the gospel to all nations. We care about going to all of the places in the world. And we drag our feet when it comes to going across the street, mm-hmm. you know, or going to the other side of the tracks, mm-hmm. you know, or things like that. Mm-hmm. That is a contradiction. I th- in my opinion, that is an evil contradiction. Mm-hmm. Um, the gospel ca- uh, demands us and calls us to go to every space uh, and, to, and to take the gospel to all people. So that's, that's one thing. Another thing, though, and, and this is a bit more understandable, is complicated. I mean, there are dynamics in urban settings and so on that just will not take easy answers. Yes. It's impossible to answer them That's easily. Right. You know, what do we do with, uh, you know, with, with folks who are on welfare uh, uh, and, and generational welfare, you know, where they just don't have a view towards getting out of Section 8. They don't have mm-hmm. a view towards, you know, going to college and, 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 and getting a career and moving and getting out, you know, and all of that. That just doesn't seem possible for them. What do you do with folks who, have, who are in apartments, you know, roach-infested impar- uh, apartments and so on mm-hmm. uh, with, with uh, um, uh, landlord sharks, basically, you know, and, uh, and if they need to, you know, borrow money or whatever, they go over to the credit union where the interest is ridiculously high and all that. And all of this is set up in the city because it can be, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's nobody that's going to push back and there's nobody that's going to do anything about that. When all of that is a part of the, the paradigm and the, the worldview of, of people, then you're going to have a culture that doesn't trust anybody. You're going to have a culture that couldn't care less about anybody coming from outside, coming inside, you know, and, and all these different things, because this is the world as they know it. This is the world as it is, you know, in, in these contexts. So then how do we do ministry? Well, you're going to have to devote some years. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of patience. It's going to take a lot of complicated, you know, conversations and, and so on. It's going to take things that you think are solutions. And then you go at it for a couple of years and you realize, you know what, this wasn't the right way to go. This was a dead end. We're back to square one mm-hmm. and all of that. And so there are some people who look at that and say, yeah, I'm good. I'm just going to stay over here in the suburbs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, give me, you know, the next, uh, you know, uh, uh, curriculum box you know, or whatever that come in with all the easy solutions and we'll just live life easily and happily and all of that. But there's something about the gospel and about the commission of our Lord that 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 should compel us to say it's worth the complication. Mm-hmm. It's right. worth the struggle. It's worth the patience and so on, because we need to do whatever it takes mm-hmm. by the Spirit's help. Uh, to make disciples wherever the Lord uh, has people. And if I may, like, I want to be clear. Treasuring Christ Church's desire to be in and among low-income communities was not a fancy kind of marker to try to make us distinct. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a theological impulse. It's not simply a strategical impulse. Mm -hmm. And the 
the Bible, Jesus, the way we talk about it is Jesus had a keen eye towards the poor. Mm -hmm. And he said that necessary fruit that shows that we are his children is that we too have a keen eye towards the poor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Matthew 25 could not be clearer mm -hmm. that what is an evidence that you are a child of God is that you have compassion upon those who are naked or homeless or hungry. And it's not that that saves you, but it's an evidence mm -hmm. that God is at work in your heart because we follow a Savior who had a keen eye towards the poor. We follow a Savior who was broken over the widow and the orphan. If you just read the book of Luke, what you begin to see is constantly the people who he is holding up are these those who are hurting and cannot help themselves. And I totally believe that God has ordained that that be part of every church's mentality. How do we care for those in need and get in relationship with those in need, not come as a savior, but get in relationship with those in need because it has spiritual ramifications. Mm -hmm. Why does Jesus say, blessed are the poor in spirit? If you have no clue what poverty looks like, then you don't understand the point of that passage. Mm -hmm. The point of the passage is you so understand what physical poverty looks like that that's meant to be like a reflection back to yourself that this is what my heart looks like apart from Jesus. Mm -hmm. I cannot help myself. I am needy, and I need something from outside of me to come and help me in my desperate situation. And Jesus wants us to walk in and among those who are hurting to say, that's your heart. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that what that does is it erodes self-righteousness. Mm -hmm. So you don't go and care for those in need as the one who has it together, but you come alongside and to build relationships with a fellow image bearer who is just broken and hasn't had some of the same you know, access that maybe you have had. So... I just want to be clear that it's, it is a, it's a spiritual impulse, and I do believe there's some beautiful fruit to be had when we follow Jesus' keen eye towards mm. the poor. That's a good mm -hmm. word. Mm. One of the things that both of you have been saying uh, in some of your responses to these questions is this, this importance of trust. Mm -hmm. How long does it take to build that trust <laughs> in a community that, that really hasn't given any trust to anyone? Yeah, I, I can only speak for me. And, um you know, I think <laughs> Eugene Peterson's phrase has constantly been long obedience in the same direction. Mm -hmm. It is, that's probably one of the most discouraging things about ministering in um, distressed communities is that what looks to be constant gains all of a sudden at the drop of a hat can be five steps backwards. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, oh, I thought that addiction, I thought they were walking away from that only to find out I used cocaine the other night. Walking away from this sexual addiction only to find out I'm now sleeping with this guy over here. Walking away from this sense of, you know, I... I, I was making, I was doing well in my job, but now my mental health situation, I got really depressed. So I didn't show up to job. I lost my job and now I can't pay my rent. So what did I do? I went and prostituted myself to get enough money to pay my bills. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are real stories, real situations. Yeah. And when you were walking alongside and you were helping and you were seeing progress and growth of faith and all of a sudden you turn around and overnight, it feels like you're back at square one or even worse. Because in those kind of contexts, one decision can really impact people differently than, you know, one bad decision for me. I can still pay my bills tomorrow um, for most bad decisions anyway. <laughs> but, you know, there's a sense of those kind of things are really difficult. And so I want to say that it's walking through its relationship over time. And I've seen I've seen years like one story and I'll be quiet. There's a sense where 
um, we were walking in a community, in this community that we've lived in now for um, about seven years, and it's just in year six and seven where we began to, we begun to see deep trust. What that looks like is single moms uh, wanting us, like at Halloween, single moms wanting us to take around their children because they were tired after working a third shift job and we're taking their kids around to do Halloween. You know, like they trust us. We, we're sharing rides, uh, you know, to, to basketball or those kind of things. And, and there's this sense of people are talking to us about deeper issues and one sweet um, there's children now that are coming to church with us from our community when it has taken years for us to get through this. Um, and there's a lot of ways to build that trust, but you're right. It takes a long time, and you have to be committed to uh, endurance and just trust the Lord with uh, to produce fruit over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if I could add one, one thing t- uh, to this as well, it's a, it's a journey, but it's not like a Super Mario Brothers journey. You know, where you go from level to level and everything. The clear goal is to get the princess. You get to, you know, the end of the game. You've got the princess. Yay. Journey over. Right. I think a lot of times we think of, 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 you know, ministry, especially when it comes to uh, loving other people, when it comes to being in hard places, doing life in hard places or in hard situations and so on. We think, okay, what's my target? Hit the target. A mission accomplished. The end. Well, no, we're called to love. Hmm. <laughs> right. and there's there's no end to the target of love. You know, uh, it's 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 an eternal thing. And so uh, once I've reached this goal, you know, and and it's it's okay to have goals that you want to set and things like that. And and if you meet those goals, that's great. But you're still dealing with people. Mm-hmm. You know, and what happens after you meet that goal? Well, I'm still here to love. You know, and and so I think a lot of times we we feel this despair because it feels like there's no end in sight Mm -hmm. instead of going, wait, but that's what love is. (laughs) There is no end in sight. We're supposed to enjoy, you know, uh, 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 doing what I can for the good of another, you know, and, and committing my life to your your best, you know, and to your highest joy and so on forever. Right. Uh, you know, so there is no end in sight. It's not supposed to be an end in sight. We're supposed mm-hmm. to love and continue to love, you know, uh, for all of eternity because that's how God created us. Uh, so, yeah, right. instead of thinking of, of, of ministry as a, um, as a target to hit, think of it more as a life to be lived. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. serve and we continue to serve, you know, uh, and we will serve one another in the kingdom forever. That's good. I'm putting that Super Mario illustration in a folder. I'm going to save it for later. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you have used the NBA and now Super Mario well as done, illustrations bro. on this podcast. <laughs> I'm just keeping a, a list of all the illustrations. Well done. What that means is I was I was raised on television. That's what that is. So. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so final question, what is some final encouragement that you could give to pastors who either aspire to do ministry in an urban context or who are already serving in an urban context? Yeah, I think one thing is, um, Pastor Ranjur was uh, talking, uh, it uh, it struck me. One pastor said, you never see the whole yard mowed. And what that means is mm-hmm. basically, it, this applies to almost everything in ministry. Basically, you're preaching a sermon, you never see all of the impacts of that sermon. You usually see one strip of grass being mowed. When you're caring for this individual, you, you rarely see 
all that God is doing in their lives, and you rarely get to walk with them all the way to the grave. And so I think if, if I could say it again, what Ron Jure said is that I think Jesus would have us to seek what it is to live that lifestyle of love every day, hmm. to make it your aim. How do I love that person across from me today? How do I love those people that, God, you have brought into my life today? And I think that will keep you sane, and it will help you have God's perspective, which is he's doing 10,000 more things than you can see with your eyes or feel with your heart. Mm -hmm. And so he's just called you to be faithful each and every day to do what he's laid in front of you. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think just that perspective in pastoral ministry will will help you and has helped me a ton. Um, Another thing specifically to urban ministry I would love to just give— is something that has really helped me. I was reading the book uh, by David Platt, Something Needs to Change. Um, and if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It's like going on a mission trip by reading a book. It's really good. <laughs> but as I was reading through it, um, he had some phrases in there that then I adapted and added some things to that I think help us with what does it look like to do ministry in an urban context. Specifically, in an urban context, it's really filled with a lot of need-meeting ministry, physical needs and meeting mercy uh, needs. And so how do you work that out? And many times people will, you know, get nervous about meeting physical needs and what about preaching the gospel and these kind of things. And the way that I've phrased it is this, what are the priorities of being and making disciples? And here are the three things. One, work hard to help well amidst earthly suffering through acts of justice and mercy. So work hard to help well amidst earthly suffering through acts of justice and mercy. And the second one is this, work harder to work together to keep people from eternal suffering through gospel proclamation and biblical faithfulness. So work harder to work together to keep people from eternal suffering through gospel proclamation and biblical faithfulness. And the last one is this, work hardest to treasure Christ above all. Mm. That's good. We have to, as a pastor... You, before you're ever a pastor, you're a person, mm-hmm. a person who needs to bow their heart day after day to say with George Mueller, the aim, most important thing I can do today is to make my soul happy in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so to say, I need Jesus more than anything else. The only way you can do pastoral ministry is to be effected by the gospel. And that only happens through time with Jesus sitting mm-hmm. still before him. Mm-hmm. And so my, I think my encouragement in these as we talk about urban ministry, it really just applies to all pastors in general. I think it would just be don't ever neglect or put the second commandment before the first one. Mm. It's love your neighbor is only following love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Well, that'll do it for today's discussion, Sean. Thank you again for joining our conversation today. Uh, And we want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found this episode helpful, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback uh, you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors. And I hope we've done that today with our conversation. And as always, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 